Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Well, welcome to the Life Hacks series, The Bible Hacks Life. And uh, we're excited about what um, the, the subject matter is today. We believe that you are going to experience some things that are just super helpful to help get a healthy life, get a healthy experience in life and, and move forward in some of the circumstances and things that you're facing. Next week, we're going to hack communication. If you have a problem communicating, especially with those that you love, then you got to be here next week because we're going to answer the question on how to best communicate with your loved ones and your friends and your bosses and all those people that are in your life that you are experiencing some, some maybe uh, communication tension. And so next week will be hacking communication. Today is hacking relationships. Hacking relationships. Last week we did hacking friendships. Today we're going to do hacking relationships. There is a big difference in the two. And so life hacks are teachings from the Bible that help solve the big and small issues of life. That's the thread that, of the meaning of what everything we're doing through this life hack series. And so life hacks are teachings from the Bible that help solve the big and small issues of life. The definition of a life hack is simply this, an often creative strategy or technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more productive and efficient way. You got that? All right, so let me give you another little life hack. Uh, have you ever had a screw that is stripped? And maybe it's in a door, maybe it's in a wall, maybe it's somewhere there. Well, here's an easy little life hack. You take a toothpick and you dip that toothpick in glue and you stick that toothpick into the hole and break it off as far as you, it, it will go. If, especially if it's in a piece of wood, you can stick it in there Break it off at the, at the edge of the hole. And then if it's, if it's still too big, if the hole's still too big, you can dip it in again and stick that toothpick in there. And then let that glue dry. And then the next time you put that screw in there, it'll hold really tight. There's a, there's a life hack right there. Okay, I've done it many, many times. Used to be a handyman. And uh, it's one of the best ways to fix a, a stripped out hole without having to drill new holes. And so uh, there you go. All right. That will be $10, and you can pay in the back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, here's the way to measure if a relationship isn't going well. Okay? You have a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your boss. Whatever the case. I'm going to give you some ideas on how you can measure or how, what the barometer is of a relationship not going well. Let me ask this question. Have you rehearsed telling someone off in your head? Okay? You haven't told them off, but in your head you're going, I, I know exactly what I'm going to tell them. I'm t this is, if, I, if I could, I would. You know, that kind of thing. Have you rehearsed that speech? Okay, we're going to try and get rid of those. We're going to hack that, that speech in your head. And have you imagined someone getting hurt in your head? No one wants to admit that, right? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> you know, you, you've imagined, well, you know, oh man, I wish that, that they would just, that their, their offense, would, they would pay somehow for that. Um, you begin to weaponize things like toothpicks in your head. 
I know what I could do with this toothpick. You know? No? No one's that evil in the room, right? I know. You guys are all saints. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress. Um, do you often speak under your breath? That's what I would say. No, no one would understand what you're saying except what's in your head, right? But you're saying it. You know, okay. How about you become a brick rather than a cuddly bear when you when you go for in for a hug? Because this person doesn't know that you might have a problem with them, but you do, and you become this brick. I'm not gonna. I'll hug you, but I'm not, it's not going to be a cozy hug, right? I'm not a cuddly bear. I'm a brick right now. And I've hugged plenty of people like that. that they're, they, I can tell they have hurt in their lives because they're like, you know, I'm not going to hug you. I'm not. Or, or you go in for a handshake, and, and some of you have done this. You go in for a handshake, and they put their elbow out to keep you at a distance. Have you ever had that? Mm, that's just that's just could be a, a claustrophobia type of thing. Um, there's all kinds of little things that help us understand what hurt is happening in our lives. There's all kinds of ways to kind of measure and understand that you have some pain going on in there. You have some issues with people. And when we have issues with people, it's not a it's not a good thing for us. It's not a good thing for anybody, because when you have a challenge, when you have an issue, when you're rehearsing a speeches in your head or or kind of thinking what you could do with a toothpick, you you've, there's issues and they're wasting your energy. They're wasting your strength. They're wasting your well-being. They're wasting your health and your your, your mindset when you could live at peace. And that is the purpose of what Jesus came to do in our lives, is to help us live at peace. Have you heard this saying? That we are only willing to love as much as we're willing to hurt. Have you heard that? People who have loved a lot have likely hurt a lot. Because when we give, when you love, you give your heart. I remember this, this one girl that I gave my heart to. Her name was Kelly. Not Karen. But Kelly and Kelly was a beautiful little girl. And I would um, I would I remember uh, taking my jacket and putting it down on the floor where we could sit and we could sit together. And um, she was only five. <laughs> but I gave everything to this relationship. You know how it works in kindergarten. You chase around the, the, the playground and threaten to kiss. And then when you get there, you hit. You know, and that's just as good as a kiss in those in those ages. Um, but uh, there was one day Kelly came to me and she said, I'm leaving. It wasn't our relationship. She was leaving. Her parents were moving and uh, she would no longer. The next day she was gone. I was hurt. And from that point on, I never gave my life until I met Karen. No, it's not true. <laughs> We're only willing to love as much as we're willing to hurt. And if you have loved, you have likely hurt. And if you have loved and you hurt and you're still hurting, you probably haven't reconciled what happened in that moment. You haven't probably reconciled what's going on in that circumstance. There's a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Now read the whole passage and then we'll talk about it. 
And, and Jesus is addressing uh, his disciples. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And his whole goal on the Sermon on the Mount was to help people understand that what the Pharisees did, the teachers of the law did, is that they took the letter of the law and made it only about the letter of the law. They took out the heart of the law. And what Jesus was going to do is bring back the heart of the law alongside the letter of the law. And so here he begins to say something about anger. He says, you have heard that it was said to, to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Of course, it's, the, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That makes sense. If you kill somebody, you need to, there needs to be justice. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What? He, he just took the act of murder and turned it into an emotion. He turned it into an expression of emotion rather than just the act. Oh, my goodness. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Can you say that with me? Raka. Ah, you're too nice. you got to be mean about it. Raka. There you go. All right. Some people that have good anger expressions. All right. Maybe too good. All right. Any, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are, <clears throat> if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. That's interesting. How, our anger, our unreconciled relationships has some connection with our worship. Settle matters quickly, verse 25, with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get, get out until you have paid the last penny. It's really interesting how Jesus takes the, the, the act of murder and turns it into an emotion. And then he goes on to begin to deal with the whole consequence of unresolved conflict. And how do we do that? So let's talk about this passage in detail. The first one is this outside perception that Jesus deals with. Uh, he says this. He says, um, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. <clears throat> it's very, it's very easy not to murder. Would you agree? I mean, uh, hopefully. But. And, and so it's easy to not murder on the outside. It's easy to look like you're not angry. It's easy to look like you're not a murderer. It's easy to look like you, you don't have that part of you that's wrong as long as you're not murdering. That's what's wrong with the teaching that the Pharisees were bringing to the, the people is like, hey, as long as you control your anger and you keep it all inside, there's no problem. You haven't murdered. Therefore, you're okay. And that's what Jesus is here to address. And that's what we must understand is that we can be 
hurting on the inside, but on the outside we look okay. Because murder is hard to do. The literal act of murder. And, and we must realize that, that Jesus is addressing what's on the out. He, he's saying what's on the outside isn't necessarily what's on the inside. And I think that's what we have to do today is understand that you and I often in our hearts have something going on that is unhealthy for us. That isn't allowing us to move forward. That isn't allowing us to be free. That, that is holding us captive. He goes on in verse 22, and he deals with the inside reality, the inside perception. If the outside is looking good, what's happening on the inside? He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he begins to deal with this anger issue. That takes it to a whole new level. That takes this bitterness, this anger, this lasting frustration, this, uh, this, this angst, this thing that goes on in your head when you see that person and you go, hush, rush, rush, And you, yeah, I'll, I'll go take this toothpick and I'll just stick it in his nose and make him hurt, you know. And just, you know, you just... And, and you start this, this thing, this, this, we, have to, we have to be okay or self-aware enough to go, wait a minute, I may not be killing this person, but in my head, I'm killing this person. And it's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. And, and so he begins to address uh, what we do. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. This idea, the word raka means, you empty-headed person. That's the literal meaning of raka. It's a big insult to say, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're ignorant. You have, you know, you know, so when you say, that guy's an idiot, that guy's stupid, that guy has no brains in his head. Ouch. Like on the 101, I'm sorry, I just touched some toes right there. <laughs> it goes deeper than that. It's not that lighthearted thing where you like, you know, the guy didn't turn his blinker on and he's like, oh, come on, blinkers. <laughs> it's not that. It goes much deeper than that when you are, every intention is to hurt the person. Raka is answerable to the court. There's a judgment. There's a, there's a, 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 a consequence that happens when we uh, begin to demean and, and uh, tear down people because of our anger. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The word hell there is Gehenna, and uh, there was a, there's a place just outside Jerusalem where there would be an everlasting, a, a, an ongoing fire that where they would burn all the trash. It was also the place where um, Jews used to, when they uh, gave over their faith to God and they gave it to Molech, they would sacrifice children there. And so there's this place, this place of fire where it was constantly burning, but it was burning trash. And that would be the judgment for those who would call someone a fool. And that whole idea of fool is to, to go further than anything you could go to all the way to hatred, condemnation. 
And basically you're saying you're, you're a dull person, you're, you're, a, you're dense, you're dumb. It's, it's kind of the, the extreme of raka. And it ends in a judgment. And so we have to go in our minds, we have to realize that that thing that we play, that recording, that rehearsal, the, the, the times we weaponize things that <laughs> we kind of think, what could I do with this to hurt that person? Um, those are not good moments. Those are unhealthy moments to the, to the extent that God is saying that, that, that when we hate, when we are, are angry like that, that there is a consequence or a judgment, a spiritual consequence. Yes. And it, it held, holds us captive. And so I guess the, the question today is, how do we, how do we evaluate? How do we look in? I think it's important that we understand all that Scripture says. 1 John 3.15 says this, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. That this hatred, this anger, separates us from God. That there's this, this, uh, this reality that happens when we are, are completely distant from God. Why? Because this... God doesn't cohabitate with hate. He is love. He is love. And the, the very fact that, that hate exists or is um, present in the temple simply means that he can't cohabitate or be present in the same place that hatred exists. Is this all making sense? I like what one commentator said he said it has well been said that the person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge over which he himself must walk we also say God forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed against us or have offended us and so we ask for this mutual forgiveness to happen I think it's interesting that when we get to this hatred standpoint, it affects our worship. And that's what this next verse says um, in verse 23. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. In other words, you're the offender. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Let's put this in a, a little bit more perspective. Proverbs 15:8 says, "The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him." So if there's wickedness or hatred or anger, this kind of anger in our hearts, it, 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 does, it doesn't coexist with the sacrifice. The sacrifice is more um, disingenuous. It's more of a legalistic response to God than an actual worship expression to God. And so we have to understand that God doesn't like the, the inconsistency of hatred and worship. It doesn't go together. Listen to Amos 5. The prophet Amos wrote this, and he said, I hate all your show and pretense. This is from the, uh, the, the, the message version of the Bible. It says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. 
Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. If we don't have that righteous heart, then how can we righteously worship? I think it's interesting how Jesus puts it in such a personal place. That when I kneel down to love God, when I give my offering in the offering plate, when I go to serve and I have this hatred or anger or angst in my life, that it's so inconsistent with the very nature that I'm trying to express or acknowledge. And I think, too, that when we have hatred in our hearts, it's just hard to love. It's hard to love. It's hard because that love can't come out in a pure fashion. It always has that angst in the back. It always has that doubt. It always has that fear. Remember, we are only willing to love as much as we're willing to hurt. Well, if you have the hurt and it's still there, it's really hard to love. No matter who it is. It might be a completely different person you're trying to love, but that person pays the price because this hurt is undealt with. It makes you afraid to love. It makes you fearful to love. It makes you doubt the other person's love. And so anger and angst creates this challenge in our lives. And it creates a distance between us and God. And I don't like that. So here's the hack. Here's the hack to, to solve the problem of broken relationships. And it's not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not a, 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 a just snap your fingers and it works because there's, there's two that, that, that have to work at it together. And sometimes you're going to try and reconcile a relationship and the other person doesn't want to do it. But here's the beauty of it is that you can know that you did everything possible to make it right. You can release that person of the guilt or the shame or the, the hurt that they caused you, or maybe you caused them, but by, by simply forgiving them. And it's not simple. I get that. It's not simple. In verse 25, it says this, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Settle matters quickly. That's the hack. That's the hack. Settle them. Deal with them. Stop trying to go, oh, I'm just going to be nice by not recognizing that you hurt me. Isn't that easy to do? Don't we do that sometimes? We kind of go, you know, the, the, the most peaceful plan is to not address the hurt. You just slapped me in the face, but I'm going to ignore that you slapped me in the face. That didn't hurt. I love you. You're such a special person. And then you walk away. I take this toothpick. Right? Is what happens? And we think we caused peace. Instead of saying, hey, you just slapped me in the face. Why did you do that? What's going on here? Let's fix this. That's going to create more peace in your life, in that relationship, 
and trying to address the issue rather than just saying, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. I've had, um, been in ministry 35 years, and I've had a whole lot of people in my office, married people, that are there because they're having conflict. And um, what is surprising to most of them is how deep the conflict is. Because once you start asking questions, so how long have you felt this way? Well, honestly, Pastor, I've felt this way for five years. What? I thought this just happened last week. No. It's been going on for five years. Your spouse thought he was making, he was making peace by not bringing it up, but he's finally had it with you. And instead of dealing, it five year, dealing with it five years ago, when it could have been fixed in a very simple fashion, now it's become years of disappointment, years of frustration, and now it's a mess. And so the principle in Scripture that Jesus te- teaches us is settle matters quickly. Because if you don't, then it's going to get handed off to somebody to solve for you. It's going to get handed off to somebody to say, okay, we'll fix it this way. We'll fix it that way. We'll deal with it. You need to do this. You need to do that. Or this is your fault. Therefore, you pay. In our context in America, it's a counselor. If it's a divorce issue, and uh, next week during communication, we'll talk about a little bit of why, why communication breaks down and what makes it a miserable experience as time goes on. And um, when we do, you'll, so you need to come back, okay? So I think the hack is this, and, and I think Jesus mentions it here easily. He says, first define the issue. Make sure that you know what the issue is. Do you understand why you're hurting? Maybe you've done what that husband did, and after five years, you've forgotten what the real issue is, and now you just ache. Define the issue. Settle it quickly. In just a few moments, I'm going I'm to ask you to stand. So you need, to, you need to hear what's coming. If there's hurt in your life that you want God to deliver you from, I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask you to, and I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to ask God, and there's no shame in this because all of us have hurt. All of us have maybe felt this kind of hurt. So I don't want any shame going on or anybody going, oh, wow, they have issues. You know, we all have issues. I have issues. Okay. Settle it quickly. When I pray for you, I'm going to ask that God open a door for you today, tomorrow, this week. To to go and address the issue. It may not go well. Because there's another person on the other side, but you're going to go be like Jesus and make every effort to reconcile a relationship. Define the issue. Settle quickly. Don't leave it to a secular process. Whether that be counseling, whether that be... uh, And I'm not against counseling. I think counseling is wonderful. But there's, there's a way. There's a Christian way to solve a problem, and that is to go confront it in love saying, I don't like the hurt that's between us. I don't like the wreck that this has made us become. And I want to I fix it. I want to heal it. I want your forgiveness, and I want to give forgiveness. And when that happens, it's beautiful. 
And grace is the best way to solve the problem. Extend grace. It's really interesting that if you're going to settle a matter on your way to court, someone's got to give what they don't, what isn't deserved. Because when you get to court, justice is going to happen. The jury's going to, the whole matter is going to be made public and it's going to, it's going to get ugly and the whole, everybody's going to have to testify and tell what's going on. And then the judge is going to determine who's guilty and who's not and make the guilty pay. And so if you settle on your way to court, that means that the offense is going to be dealt with by grace, not by judgment. And that's the goal. When we are hurt, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us the hurt ones because we have to give grace to forgive. We have to say to that person, I won't hold you accountable anymore for the offense you did to me. And I understand that is a long, long path that some may have to take. Let me read a passage of scripture. I'm going to read this like I would read a story because it reads like that. And it's just a little ways further down uh, scripture in Matthew chapter 18. It says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter was trying to be generous. He's trying to be generous with seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I don't know about you, but I would forget how many times I've forgotten, probably after 10. You know, I, how many times I've forgiven uh, after, after even seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, nothing compared to what he was just released from. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that, all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. And then he says this, from your heart. Amen. From your heart. 
I understand. There's some people in our room right now that you've experienced unspeakable pain from people in your life. Maybe you were physically or sexually abused. Maybe someone's stolen from you. Whatever the case may be, and there are things that I can't even imagine that you may have gone through. That, and you probably can't imagine right now forgiving those people for. The most healthy thing we can do for ourselves is to forgive. Is to allow ourselves to not look at that person that has hurt us and hold and, and, and always believe that they owe us. Because every time we do that, every time we believe that they owe us, we have that angst, we have that hurt, we, have that, we relive that experience, and it's a captivity. And that's what's happened to this, this, this unmerciful servant, as the title of that passage goes. Once he's been forgiven, then he goes out, and he still has this angst in his life, whatever that is and holds that person accountable when he was just let released from all the things that he owed his master. My encouragement to you today is simply this, is that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to enable us to forgive those that hurt us, to be released from that pain, that angst, from those speeches that happen in our heads, from those weird, crazy moments where we want to weaponize something to hurt somebody, or hope that they would just crash their car. None of that's healthy. And I know we know that, but we kind of allow it to sit. And we don't deal with it. And my hope and prayer for you today, as I prayed this week, I was like, Lord, let people be free from the angst and the hurt. Let people be free from that stuff that just goes through our heads and through our hearts. And if we can forgive from the heart, we're completely free. We're completely free. Yeah, I don't think there's a murderer in the room from a physical standpoint. But how are you in your heart? That's what scripture is really addressing. And that's what we, we must address. If we're going to hack relationships, if we're going to make them healthy, then we have to forgive as much as we've been forgiven. As much as we've been forgiven. Reconciliation always costs. It will cost us to forgive. It always cleans the plate. There's nothing on the plate left to deal with. Reconciliation always creates emotional freedom. It always provides a pathway to authentic worship because now there's nothing blocking our relationship with God. And it always aligns with God's values of healthy relationship, of peace and harmony. And I, that's what, me as your pastor, that's what I want for you. I don't want you to live in that yuck and that awful sense of ache and pain and that, that rehearsing of stuff in your mind or that, that, remem that memory that holds people accountable for things that they did that uh, still holds us captive. So I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna ask God to just deliver us all from the ache and pain that we have in our lives. And I realize that this may be a challenging thing. I, and honestly, I feel led of the Lord to ask you to stand. So in just a moment, uh, Ron's going to come up and he's going to lead us uh, or just play behind us. But um, I believe this is a moment, a sacred moment, where we have the opportunity 
to allow God to release us. And we have the opportunity to release others from the offense they've done to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's begin to pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I believe that you are asking us today to release ourselves to you. And by standing in this moment, we are saying simply, God, we want to be set free from the ache of hurt and pain that we've experienced. The broken relationship or relationships that we have, Lord, we want to be free from them and we want to be free to worship you and not have anything inconsistent in our heart that keeps us from keeps our worship from reaching you. So Lord, I pray for the holy boldness. There's no shame in this room for we all have been hurt. We've all had to reach out and forgive. And I just pray that you help people stand today that need your freedom, that need your work, that need your love and grace to forgive those that have hurt them. If you're here today, and you need to stand. I just encourage you to do so right now. Let the Holy Spirit just lift you up and set you free from the ache and the pain that you've experienced in your life. And today is the first step in reconciling those relationships and making every effort to be set free from those things that happen in our, heart, in our minds, in our hearts. I believe God's going to do a miracle right now to set many of you free, many of us. I'm standing with you right now. To set many of us free from the bondage that we've been in and the hurt and the ache that we felt from these broken relationships. Lord, I, I cry with the hurt that is represented here. And identify, Lord, that there's so many people that have experienced the disappointment in a relationship, the, the hurt, the damage that has been done when we see somebody at a grocery store in a family gathering and we, we, we don't want to see them. We want to avoid them. Lord, I pray that you in this moment restore these relationships, reconcile them, Father, according to your will and your word. May your power work to release all of us, God, from that, that ache, that pain, that hurt that we feel because of these broken relationships. I believe the boldness of those that have stood will be honored by your grace, by your power, by your love. And Lord, may we experience the same thing over and over again of your love and grace that you've given to us so that we can give it to others. For Lord, by the power that you've forgiven us, we are able to forgive others. And I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray for reconciliation. I pray, God, that relationships that haven't been uh, healthy will become healthy. I pray that minds that, are, that have been uh, damaged because of these, these hurts would be made whole and healthy. Again, I pray, God, for the restoration of relationships that are still uh, in question. Father, I pray that you bring everything back together and we thank you and we praise you for that because you've forgiven us for so much, we will forgive others. I pray your blessing 
I pray, God, that you give hope and encouragement. I just know, God, you're going to do amazing things. Amazing things in these lives right here in Jesus' name. And we give you all the glory for it. We give you all the praise. Because now the purity of of, of relationship with you is unblocked, unhindered. And our offerings, everything goes straight to you. And we thank you for it. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. And we thank you for the outpouring of your spirit on each person that has stood here today. We give you, we declare victory. We declare that we are winners and that you are victorious in our lives and in the relationships that you are now reconciling and making well. And we give you thanks for that. We give you all the glory. And everybody said, amen. Woo! Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.